Hey, South Bend City Church, Mariah here, the Director of Art and Worship. We're so thankful that you chose to join us today, and we are so, so grateful that you're a part of our community. It's week five of this Lent season, and we continue on in our series, Old Creed, New World. And today, we ask ourselves what we're supposed to take from the Apostles' Creed when it gives so much language to the death of Jesus. We ask whether this is a story primarily about failure, or if there's something other than shame that we can receive from this story. At the end of today's teaching, Jason will lead us into a practice called Eucharist. Some of you may know it as communion. If you would like to join us in that when we get there, make sure to have some form of bread or cracker and some form of juice or wine. And as Jason says the words, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you, would you know that he is saying that over you as well? Before we get to that, though, we wanted to give you some updates in the life of our community, including something that one of our own community members is working on. So let's join in with the rest of our community now as Jason gives us those updates. Good morning. Welcome to South Bend City Church. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, We're really quite honored that you are here. Uh, We are right around the corner from Holy Week, which is a time when followers of Jesus all around the world uh, pay special attention to some of the events in history that are at the center of our faith. And uh, as that comes along, I'll tell you more about how we're going to practice that together as a community. Uh, Before we get to that stuff on the calendar, though, uh, there's one other uh, item on the calendar that I want to make sure that you're aware of. Uh, We continue to feel the energy of people putting life together after COVID and finding new community, new rhythms after COVID. And we've learned that for a lot of you, that includes like new relationship with church right here at South and City Church. And we want to make sure that you've got an opportunity to feel more connected here, to ask some questions, to feel less anonymous. And one of the ways that we're doing that is our new to SBCC table. We have this idea. We tried it. It filled up quite quickly. We keep offering them. They keep filling up. So we're just going to keep doing them. Uh, We keep this capped at a certain number of people so that it's actually a chance for us to be together, to hear each other, be known at one big table. So next week on Palm Sunday, after the 11 a.m. gathering, we're going to head up there to the mezzanine. Uh, There's stairs, but there's also a lift uh, over in the lobby there if you want to make your way to the second floor. And we'll actually sit around one table together, uh, myself and some of our other team members and those of you who sign up for this, and we'll get to know each other a little bit, uh, a little bit of your story, a little bit about what it is that brought you here or that keeps you here. And you'll have a chance to ask some questions about our church here together and connect with the team. So uh, this has been a really great experience. We'd love to invite you to this next one if you haven't had a chance yet. Uh, we just wanted you to go online to sign up. That makes sure that we have a seat for you and food for you. So if you just go to our website, stopandcitychurch.com, find the What's Happening lane there and click on the new table, uh, you'll be able to let us know that you're coming. And we'll really look forward to that time next Sunday on Palm Sunday. Uh, if next Sunday is Palm Sunday, then that means the Friday after that is Good Friday. Uh, This, again, is a time when followers of Jesus all around the world will remember uh, the events of Jesus' death on our behalf. And so we'll gather here at noon for a special Eucharist service. This is a brief reflection. Uh, There's not like a big sermon or a long liturgy. The point of that is for us to just take a moment on Good Friday to be together, uh, to hear the words of Scripture that tell the story of Jesus' death on our behalf, and then to come to the Eucharist table uh, one last time during this Lenten season Uh, And then we'll be on our way pretty quickly there. So hopefully this is designed in a way that even if you're in the middle of a work day, you might be able to make it on a lunch break. Uh, We won't have childcare or kids ministry at the Good Friday gathering. However, we always welcome kids right here in the main gathering. And I think that's a really beautiful time to come to the table with the little ones that are a part of your life. So that's Good Friday, which means after that is Easter. Very exciting on April 9th. 
Yeah, we've had some questions. Uh, we're sticking with our regular gathering times. It is going to get cozy in here. Uh, so we just look forward to all of you wonderful SBCC people showing great hospitality to newcomers, guests, first-time people here. We'll just kind of squeeze in and make room for everyone at 9 and 11 on Easter Sunday. That's the calendar coming up. Uh, now let me turn to something that's going on, a, a project that we get to be a part of here in the city of South Bend. Uh, this is a project uh, that one of our own church members is working on, and it intersects really nicely with a lot of our convictions about how we want to show up as a church in the city of South Bend. So to tell you more about it, please welcome Elena Wirt. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Elena, let's just jump right into it. What are you working on? Yeah, so uh, I'm working on a project uh, kind of in partnership with the organization that I work for and focus uh, right over here at the other Studebaker building. Um, and they kind of focus on projects of innovation uh, and entrepreneurial focus and creativity and everything. Uh, but the project that I'm working on is we're, our kind of working title is Immersion Experience South Bend. And that project focuses on fostering connections between people and organizations and fostering those connections with stories of resilience and creativity and strength and innovation in and around South Bend. Awesome. Um, now, one reference point that some people will uh, understand that helps make sense of this project goes back to a delegation that our church took to Israel-Palestine last fall. You were part of that trip. I was part of that trip. Others in the room were. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, by the way, a lot of you made this trip possible through some giving in the Christmas offering. Uh, a bunch of, SB yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of SBCC people made their way over there along with some friends from elsewhere in the world. And we went over there to, to really um, hear stories not just of conflict or injustice, although there are many stories of that over in that place in the world. We also went there to hear stories of peacemaking, creativity, ingenuity, and there's a model of immersion that our partners at the Telos group have worked out, and there's some inspiration that we're taking from that, right? Can you tell us a little bit about your experience there and how you see that showing up here? Yeah, so my experience there, and I think the one that, the, I had a lot of experiences there, I'll just say, um, but I think the one that best connects with this project is getting to know and hear from the people who were kind of living the reality of what was happening and is happening in Israel-Palestine, getting to hear their stories on a very personal level. And that's kind of what we're hoping this project and this sort of immersion experience will model, is getting to know those people and those organizations in our, in our own backyards, really, um, that are fostering those stories of, of strength and resilience and creativity in the face of um, a lot of things that are happening in around the city that are really difficult. So, yeah. I think one reason this resonates with us is I think we'd probably all agree that to, to love anyone or to love a community or a city, you have to know it, right? You can't really love from a distance. You need to be in a relationship. And so as a church that continues to grow in its relationship with the city that we call home, we want to love well, which means we want to know and be in relationship with different stories, organizations, people in our city, and this project's going to help us do that, right? Absolutely. Okay. That's I mean, that's really the whole point of the project, and yeah. um, I was honored to be asked to kind of help lead this and head this up and stuff. Nice. So right now, you are crowdsourcing some of the stories and organizations yes. that might feature in this experience you're designing, right? Yes. Uh, I've been spending the last two or three months having a lot of meetings and working with a lot of different people in and around in this city. Um, to try and get to know some of those stories. Um, but I know there are more out there. Uh, and so I would love it if you'd be willing to come to me and email me. And we'd, I'd love to have a conversation with a lot of you 
um, whether that's one-on-one -on -one or in a larger group. Um, so if this project sounds of interest to you, please go ahead and, and email me and contact me and tell me um, kind of either whether it's your story or someone else's. Um, yeah, bring nice. your friends and neighbors and everything. So let's put your email on the screen here. It's elenawert at gmail.com, A-L-A-Y-N-A-W-O-R-T at gmail.com. Uh, you can send Elena an email. And this is for anyone in the room who's hearing this or anybody in the podcast who has some South Bend connection and you feel like you've got some awareness about um, a story in the city of South Bend, right? Uh, people doing good work in the city of South Bend, um, some part of the landscape of our own city that you feel like if you're going to know South Bend, you need to know this, right? They should probably Absolutely. reach out to you. Absolutely. Yes, please. No. Okay. That's it. Anything else you want to say to us about the project? Um, just to get excited about it. Um, we all love our city. We're all here because we love our city and we all love South Bend. And so um, I'd just love to work with any of you that want to get to know the city with me. Awesome. Let's uh, fill Elena's inbox. Yeah, say thanks to Elena for us. Cool. Uh, one last note before uh, the band comes up and leads us, us a little bit further, uh, which is all of this is made possible through lots of things, including volunteering and prayers and heart and wisdom, and through financial giving. So if you want to be uh, financially supportive of the good things happening through South and City Church, just head to southandcitychurch.com slash give. Uh, of course, we're very, very grateful for everything that's given to make all this possible. A little while later in our gathering, uh, we'll come to the table of Jesus. Uh, this, in a lot of ways, is the centerpiece of our practice today. And when we do that, I want to make sure you know like, how we approach the table so you're not confused about that. And then we'll say a few things about what it is that brings us to the table today. Uh, but when we get to that point, first of all, for South and City Church, it's very clear for us that anybody who wants to be at the table with Jesus is deeply welcome at the table with Jesus. So we don't have any litmus tests for you there. Uh, you don't have to be a member of South and City because that's not actually a thing here. We don't do that. Um, <clears throat> you don't have to... You don't have to believe all the right things. We just, uh, if you want to be at the table with Jesus, we would love to welcome you at the table there with him. Uh, when you, that happens later in the gathering, it'll be really clear. I'll serve those who will serve you, and then you'll be free to get up out of your seat and go to one of the tables in one of the corners. We'll do three here at the nine. Uh, when you go to the table, somebody will first have bread for you, and you can simply hold out your hand. You don't have to take it. You can just hold out your hand and freely receive. The bread happens to be gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and nut-free. Uh, they'll remind you the body of Christ broken for you, and they'll place it in your hand. Hold on to it for a moment. Don't eat it yet. Step over, and somebody will hand out a cup. And in the cup is grape juice, but somebody will remind you the blood of Christ shed for you. And you can take the bread and dip it in the cup and then eat that, and that'll be our practice. Uh, if you're not able to make your way to the table, we would love to come to you. So once the lines wind down, if you notice that, you can simply raise a hand, and our servers will be on a lookout, and they'll come to you with those same elements so that you can receive. Uh, that'll be in our practice in a bit. Uh, before we get there, though, let's remind ourselves of where we've been and where we are as a church. We've been in the series that we call Old Creed, New World. And we've been doing this since way back in September. I know that seems like a very, very, very long time ago. Uh, this is a way that the church has narrated our understanding of faith, which is a way of saying this is a story that we tell about reality, about the way things really are, about what is underneath and behind and within everything, what is real and enduring in the midst of some of the distractions and the illusions that are part of our lives. This story says, no, in, in, like at the heart of everything, there's actually God who gives all of this its being, and there is God who shows up in Jesus. It tells the story like with these words. We put the first few lines of the creed on the screen. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And I, I know we've like taught that a long time ago now, but I can't stop coming back to it. And I hope you don't stop hearing the radical nature of that claim, that we believe everything good and beautiful is intended, that your life is intended. It's a particular idea in the mind of God that you would be here. 
Don't lose sight of that. I hope that you hold your head high because of that, right? The creed goes on, next lines, to say, in, in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. We've talked about these lines and how all of that big universal beauty and power gets dropped down into the story of Jesus and how some have some problem or some difficulty with all that particularity, but how the beauty of particularity is you know exactly where to look when you are thirsty. That you've, you've got a very particular location that you can turn to, and it's Jesus and his story and in his presence if you're trying to figure out what you do with all of this expansive idea of God, right? And I think it helps to have that story of Jesus because in the story of Jesus, we find out that flesh matters to God, that human lives matter to God, that God is not unfamiliar with, unacquainted with, unsympathetic toward the actual experience of being human. So human, in fact, that he's born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And then at that point in the creed, you might think, all right, we get it, right? Like, he died. But the creed kind of pushes it a little bit further with the next line that we're going to hit today. He descended to the dead. Now, that's in the creed for a number of reasons. And interestingly, this is the one line in the whole creed that depending on which uh, brand of Christians you're hanging out with, it gets, it gets uh, uh, written in two different, there's two different words that get used at the end of the line. We're going to work that out today a little bit. Uh, sometimes it says he descended to the dead. Sometimes it says something else. We'll tell you more about that in a bit. Uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of reasons. One reason this seems to be there is to simply say, like, you know, the death of Jesus is not a, it's not a mirage or an illusion. Um, there was, even early in the church, a real wrestling match with whether it's possible that God in the, in the life of Jesus could really die. Which kind of makes sense. If God is all the things that most human beings think God is, death is a category error for God. Like, it just doesn't make sense that God would die. But then again, often what Christian theology is doing is it's actually, it's, it's not irrational, it's sort of transrational, it's going beyond the things that the mind can regularly make sense of. And the idea that God would die seems to be the kind of thing that the mind just resists, that it just rebels against. And so there were a bunch of fights in the early centuries of the church, and a lot of those fights had to do with, like, what was going on? Is Jesus really fully human and fully God, and how do those things hold together? And if he is really fully God, then the death thing seems like a category error. But it was the wisdom of many of those followers of Jesus to say, no, I, I know it may not make sense. I know it might kind of fry the brain a little bit. But this story is actually saying he descended all the way down into death, all the way there. So that seems to be one of the reasons that it's there. Uh, it's also, I think, um, an important reminder. Uh, this story says that when God showed up and lived God's life among us, we put it to an end. That when God actually lived out the love of God in the world, the power of God in the world, the truth of God in the world, the light of God in the world, that humanity just like couldn't receive it for what it was. And so we did everything we could to fully end it. Maybe it was because of the disruptive ways that he interacted with the system that kept some down while it lifted other people up, and we didn't like the way that he messed with the status quo. Maybe it was the fact that he refused to take up arms on behalf of the people that he was trying to liberate. We could go on and on about how it is that we got to that point in the story, but it seems really clear that when God lived God's life in Jesus, we had to put it to an end. And this line in the creed reminds us, like, all the way to an end, we put it in the grave, right? Now, that being said, I don't know if you've spent your whole life in Christian spaces listening to sermons and preachers if, if you've heard this story of the death of Jesus preached a lot or a little or not at all, 
I know I've heard it preached a lot. And I've, I've paid attention to the effect of that preaching, depending on how it's preached and what happens when we tell this story, right? And um, one thing I, I find myself listening for more and more is, like, what it is that we take away from the story of the death of Jesus? Um, I was traveling a little bit this past couple of weeks, and I visited uh, another church uh, elsewhere, which is always fun for me to do. I'm kind of like, just have a lot of thoughts when I visit churches, right? Um, but I was talking to a gentleman who I knew a little bit who attended this church that I was visiting, and he was telling me his church story, and he told me about the church that he grew up in and then the church that he's in now. And he was telling me about the church that he grew up in, and this is, this is like a strong professional man in his 50s with a really bright mind and a really accomplished life. And he's a very good man. I know him well enough to know he's a high character man. And he was telling me, he said, before he came to the community he's a part of now, he just said, um, he, he looked me in the eye and it just kind of dropped like an anchor in our conversation. He said, I was just very deeply convinced that God hated me. And he talked a little bit about the, the sermons that brought that message to his mind and the kind of teaching that, that brought him to that place. And a lot of it had to do with how this moment, about how the death of Jesus had been explained to him, right? Um, I, I think it's very biblical and true to say that when we read about the death of Jesus, one of our takeaways is that this is what we do when God shows up. This is part of the human condition, that we are prone to rejecting the light and the truth and the love and the justice of God because we prefer things the way they are right now for some strange reason, even though the way things are right now is not that great, right? We don't want the disruption of God. We don't want the truth of God. We don't want the light to shine into the dark corners of our lives. I think that's really true, which is why we put an end to that when we see it so often, right? But if the biggest thing we take away from the death of Jesus is a story about ourselves, I think we've missed the point. Because Scripture says that like, the biggest takeaway of that moment of the death of Jesus has a lot more to do with what it tells us about God than what it tells us about us. Romans 5 says it like this. Romans 5 verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Which is to say that as much as the death of Jesus might be about what happens when God shows up and we bring our worst against God, it is far more a story about how God responds to that experience, which is to say that God doesn't come at us with vengeance. God doesn't uh, strike us down in that act. God willingly suffers what we do to God to demonstrate God's own love for us. So here's my thing. If you're going to take away something about yourself from this story, yeah, let's have a sober reckoning about what we do with the life of God when it shows up. But beyond that, bigger than that, deeper than that, louder than that, I hope you hear something about your belovedness. And I hope you hear something about your neighbor's belovedness. And I hope you hear something about your enemy's belovedness. Because whatever the story is saying about us, the biggest, loudest, clearest thing it's saying is that God loves us. And maybe even more important than that, maybe even louder and clearer than that from this story, is what it says about God. Which is that God is love through and through. That when God was tested, when God was given every reason to respond with something other than love, when God was pushed to the brink of everything that we could do to test God's character or disposition toward us, God still responds with love. I mean, this is like a stress test on God's disposition toward humanity and toward you. And the answer that we get is that God still responds with love. This ought to be our takeaway from this moment. Um, I, I don't want to diminish the... The, the reckoning that we bring to this story. 
And even on Good Friday, there's an appropriate moment there where we come to the table where we ask ourselves, in what way are we like the people 2,000 years ago who when God showed up in their midst, we said, that doesn't work for us. It's too disruptive for us. Uh, Maybe something true that he said is too uncomfortable for us. Maybe the justice that he called for is too inconvenient for us. I I don't know. I mean, that's a sober reckoning that we bring with us along our way to the cross, but it's, it's it's like a moment in the story that is a story of love, and I hope we don't miss that. Um. Now, I mentioned to you that the creed, uh, the, the, that line gets rendered in two different ways depending on which brand of Christians you're hanging out with. Um, this is because, you know, the creed wasn't written in English. I don't know if you know that. Um, the creed's written in uh, older languages. You know, we have like Latin and Greek going on there. And then you also have the fact that the creed is an interpretation of Scripture, which is written in the New Testament in a very ancient version of Greek. So you have some language work going on there. You have some interpretive work going on there. You also have some theological work going on there. But let me show you the other way, and I'm skipping one slide just so you know, Judy. But let me show you the other way uh, this is rendered. It also says he descended to hell. Yeah, this is the goth version of the creed. This is where things get a little, a little gnarly, you know. He descended to hell. Uh, there are scriptures uh, where we get the impression that what's going on on the cross is that Jesus is actually doing some kind of work with evil with Satan, with darkness, with the powers that have a hold of things right now, and hell tends to be their terrain. So we get that from Scripture. Um, there's also a theological tradition called the harrowing of hell that develops that I think is uh, as beautiful as it can get, which is uh, this picture of Jesus actually in those three days where he hangs out in the tomb in his body, that somehow his spirit descends to hell, and that he is down there literally rescuing the lives that are held there, that are bound there. You see these images sometimes of, of, of hell being cracked open like a vault in the earth, these big sort of stones, not the tomb that he's in, but the stones that hold the vault of hell beneath him, and he's literally pulling bodies out of hell in a rescue operation because he's done something to liberate them there. I find that um, beautiful and fascinating, mostly for the imagination that it stirs in me about our own lives. Um, We're not here to do a teaching on hell today. That'll come at some point, I'm sure. Um, But one of the ways that hell functions for us theologically and imaginatively, right, is that hell is the place where evil goes. Hell is a place where the shadows go. Hell is a place where our demons live. Hell is a place where the darkest parts of us reside and come from. And it might be that hell is the place where we try to lock up and put in a vault our shadows and our secrets and the things that we are ashamed of, that we try to lock those things down there. Uh, As if perhaps by locking those things away and running away, we would get closer to God. But this story says that if you want to locate God, you don't run from those things. You meet him there. I think some, so many of us think that we will meet God mostly in our virtue, right? That like when we climb high mountains of accomplishment and character, right? I think so many of us think that we will meet God in the best parts of ourselves. And I think God gave the best parts of you to you. And I think God's there with you too, right? I'm all for that. I'm all for your creativity. I'm all for your virtue. I'm all for the unique character and power that you bring into the world. But that doesn't mean that you're going to meet God by only climbing the mountain of your virtue and your accomplishments. I think the story is also saying that you're going to locate God, that you're going to find God in the very things that you have locked up in a vault that you are running from. In the shadows that you are hiding from, the story says he descended all the way there. That that's 
part of this holy story that we're going to celebrate on Holy Week. And I think another reason I'm feeling and thinking about all this is because of a a film that I just saw that that has had me thinking so much about this. Um, A a couple of days ago, or maybe a week ago, I was at this little documentary film festival, and uh, new films were being premiered there that aren't out there in the world yet. And I went there generally interested in the films that were going to be showing, and I had no idea when I signed up for this one of the films that was going to be on the roster. And I was actually scrolling through the listing for the day, and I saw a name who is the subject of a documentary, and it kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, well, that's interesting. <laughs> the name was Thomas Kincaid. Does anybody know that name? This is uh, an artist. I'll put his picture on the screen. So Thomas Kincaid uh, was an American artist, painter. Uh, he died tragically in the year 2012 at the age of 54 from alcohol and valium poisoning. Before he died, he built uh, an empire of uh, what you might call consumer art, of art that people would hang in their homes and buy in mall stores. Uh, Here's an example, next slide, of of the kind of art that he would make. Now, before I go any further, let me just say, you're allowed to like any art you like, okay? (laughs) Whatever I'm about to say next is not a judgment on anyone's taste here. One way of reading the Kincaid story is as a sort of narrative about, you know, elite East Coast and West Coast art communities and then Middle America and the kind of art that they like. The documentary features a lot of that. If you look at this image here that's very typical of Kincaid's work, it may not surprise you that the bourgeois of the East Coast elite found Kincaid's art to be awful, uh, despicable, nauseous. They really didn't like it. And yet... um, his business, selling consumer art, did something like $53 million in net revenue for his own life during the time that he was making these products. Um, Kincaid was known as the painter of light. And his images had a lot of light in them. This particular one, that's uh, kind of a chapel there tucked away. And you'll notice the windows of it are illuminated from within. And if you look at his images, there's always a lot of light. Even if the scenes happen at dusk, twilight, or even in the, at, at night, um, the homes and the, the buildings that are in his images are always like really brightly, sort of unnaturally brightly lit from within. So he calls himself the painter of light. And in this documentary, they quote an interview in which Kincaid says, I always wanted to paint a world where the fall never happened. The fall is a word that some Christians use to describe their understanding of the story that with Adam and Eve, we fell from grace. We fell out of paradise. We kind of fell below what we were meant to be, and we live in a world with sin, right? So it's another way of saying I want to live in a world where sin doesn't exist. Another way of saying it would be I want to live in a world without shadows. I want to paint a world without shadows. And while I, I don't mean to like, make this an indictment upon anybody who loves Kincaid's work, because you're allowed to like whatever art you like. And I'm a big Taylor Swift fan, so I don't get to claim any kind of you know, prestige up here, right? So, like, we're all, we all have our, our things, right? But it's striking me that Kincaid's artwork became so popular with so many American Christians. When sometimes what we have preached in American Christianity 
is a world without the fall or a world without shadows or that somehow you're going to meet God if you could get part, rid of that part of your life, right? That you're going to meet God if you could run from the dark places in your life and just sort of show up on church at church like, like happy and smiling and performing a kind of like perfect model of what you think God wants you to be rather than owning everything about yourself, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the shadows, the hopes, the light, as if somehow you're going to get more of God by denying the truth of yourself, the actual reality of your entire life, right? Anyway, so I'm, I go into this documentary. I'm intrigued. Um, I grew up around a lot of Kincaid. I saw a lot of it. Um, I, I had known that he died kind of tragically. I didn't know the details of that death. Um, but there was something else in the film, and it's actually the inciting incident for the documentary that um, really took my breath away and, it, and found me, like, crying hard in the theater when the film was done. After Kincaid died, Kincaid's daughters found a vault in his house, an actual vault. And in it were something like 6,000 paintings nobody had ever seen. And they were dark and weird and beautiful. And now this is the part of the sermon that has nothing to do with Kincaid. It's about what that story did in me. But I think one of the reasons I found myself like weeping in the, in the film, in the, in, the, in the showing, was I thought even, I mean, none of us is in a position to understand the circumstances of Kincaid's death. Um, but I thought as a metaphor, as a, a reminder of how so many of us live, right? It's like we have these vaults and we lock up our shadows and we think that we'll do more work in the world and be better in the world and be closer to God in the world and live without the fall in the world if we can just take all that dark stuff and lock it up in a vault and leave it there. But the creed says Jesus actually descends into that vault all the way into the darkest corners that that's part of the story of God's love for us. It's like he's saying, like, all of you, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, we got to gather all of it up. Because there is no wholeness for you and there's no holiness for you. If you just pretend that some of that stuff isn't there, if you just try to kind of lock that in the vault and hope that nobody knows about it, like, that will not put you in the flow of love. That will not put you in the current of healing. That will not bring you fully into the life that God has for you. And so the, the, the story of the creed, it's telling us that God and God's love for us descends all the way, breaks open those vaults and says, I'm even going to meet you in there because I love you all the way. There's a songwriter who also died tragically in a different way uh, named Rich Mullins who has this song with this line. He says, um, with these are hells and our heavens so few inches apart. We must be awfully small and not as strong as we think we are. And I think the love of God says, yeah, you, you are all of that. And I'm, I'm here to wrap my arms around all of that and to call all of that into the world, right? Um, we have baptism coming up. This is the first time that we've told you about this on the calendar coming up. Uh, let me put the date on the screen for you. On Sunday, May 7th, we will baptize people here in this room in our gatherings. 
And baptism is a lot of things. Baptism um, is a gift given to us by Jesus. It's an initiation, right, for people who want to follow Jesus, who want to live their life with Jesus. It's also, um, I mean, in, in, the, in the symbolism of it, which includes death and resurrection and, and cleansing and new birth, these are all symbols that are embedded in the act of baptism and being buried under the water. But one way of understanding it, one, one way of working out the symbols is that you go down into the grave of your own life. You go down into the vault of your own life. You go down into the buried things, into the hidden things of your own life, and you find out that Jesus is down there with you. And that he comes up with you out of those things into new life, not by denying those things, but by bringing every part of yourself into your life with Jesus. And so baptism's coming up, and I want to tell you about it today, and I want to remind you about it every week between now and May 7th in case you want to think about it, pray about it, talk to a friend about it, reach, us to, uh, reach out to us about it to process it. Uh, we've got some questions that might help you wonder whether baptism is for you, and I want to share these with you today. You could ask yourself, do I trust Jesus to bring me into life in God's kingdom? Um, not just part of you, all of you. Uh, next question, do I want to live, or do I want God to live God's life in me? This is the promise Jesus keeps saying, the kingdom of God is yours. God wants to live God's life in you. Am I aware of my own tendency to live a life that's less than the love, truth, grace, and peace that God wants to live in me? Do I trust God's willingness to forgive and embrace me? And am I ready to be known as a follower of Jesus? Am I willing to say that this is who I am and what I'm a part of in the world? So baptism's coming up. We'll remind you of that every week. You can find registration link on the website. Uh, you'll find those same questions and some other explaining language about baptism there on the website as well. Uh, you can use that link to register. You can use that same link to reach out if you'd like to talk to somebody on our team more about baptism, but that's coming up. Now, uh, one last note before we come to the table. And I think this will connect. I promise this will connect. Hang with me here. Um, there's a letter in the New Testament called the Book of Ephesians. And in it, Paul um, says something really big about church, about the thing that you and I are here a part of, right, church in the world at large, the followers of Jesus in the world at large, um, about God doing something through the church. And the language is so expansive, it um, almost defies my imagination. So he says this, Now to God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now that's big, right? God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Now I read that in a lot of days I'm kind of like, where? <laughs> like, when is that going to happen? Because um, there are a lot of days where I feel more in touch with like, when the church doesn't look like that and doesn't act like that and doesn't show up like that. That can happen sometimes, right? But I think the trick here is what he says right before this. Like, what, did, what, is, what is it that gets Paul to this point where he says, I actually think God could be um, doing immeasurably more than we imagine in the church, that God's power would be at work within us. What is it that gets Paul to that vision for our existence in the world together? It's the prayer that he prays right before this. I'm going to go back like four sentences. He says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then this, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high 
and deep is the love of Christ. That's the love that goes all the way down into the grave, all the way down into your hell, right? That's the expansiveness of it. And then to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, we're not going to get there by denying the kind of sobering encounter that we have with the cross that reminds us that this is what we do with God. But we're also not going to get there if all we take away from it is that we are the ones who sometimes crucify him. If that's all we take away, we have missed the plot. And until we hear clearly and see, like, for our own eyes and understand, like, no, that's a story about our belovedness and about a God whose love extends beyond our failure, right? It goes all the way into the shadows, into the dark parts, the hidden parts, the shameful parts. Until we see it that way, I don't know that we will tell stories of the immeasurable impact of God in the world through us. I don't know that we will know the fullness of God, the power of God. But I think every step that we take toward bringing all of ourselves into this, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the shadows, and the light, every step we take toward that kind of wholeness, toward all of it, is a step that we take toward that happening in us and through us and power and glory working its way out in the world um, and being able to say, amen, God, that's what we signed up for. Like, amen. That's what we wanted. Amen. That's what we were looking for when we said yes. Uh, this is a good word for a community that comes to the table of Jesus. To be sustained by God, giving God's self for us and for the world. Uh, to know that this meal is the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples on the eve of his journey into the grave and the eve of his journey to the depths of hell, where he would raid those vaults and bring people out. This is the meal that he shared with his friends to sustain them as they would get called into a similar journey. And so we will hope and trust that this meal will sustain us today. And it's a meal made up of the love of God. So I want to invite those who are going to serve uh, us as a community today to join me on the stage. And as they join, I want to remind you that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And then later in that same meal, he took a cup. And he said, this is the cup of a new promise, of a new covenant, of the faithfulness of God, of the enduring love of God. Drink deeply of this and be sustained. So loving God, I pray that these elements would be for us, your life given for us and for the world. I pray that we would bring a sober reckoning to this table about our capacity to betray you and reject you, but I pray that louder than that, deeper than that, more enduring than that would be our knowledge of your love for us and for everyone. I pray that whatever is locked in the vaults of our lives that we have considered too shameful or dark, whatever it is that we have cast into the fire of hell, hoping that it would not come back to us, I pray that we would find you meeting us even there. I mean, if you would go to hell and raid that vault, then surely there was no part of ourselves, no fear within us, no history behind us, no, nothing about us that is ineligible for your love, that is too dark to be redeemed. I pray that you would lead us in the way of wholeness and trust as we trust your love. We pray these things through Christ. And we all said, amen. The body of Christ broken for you. 
and the blood of Christ shed for you. If you're able, will you stand to your feet? So may you know the inexhaustible love of God. When we brought our very worst and tested it, what we discovered was that it would not end. That God would continue to love and pour God's self out for you, for me, for neighbors, for enemies. May you trust that you can bring all of yourself to this love. That every corner of your life, every bright point and every shadow are held and healed in this love. And may we, trusting this love, discover that we are filled with the fullness of God and that through a church like ours, God would do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work in our midst. That this love would give glory to God and Jesus Christ right here in South Bend, and anywhere that we find ourselves. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you all. See you next week.